Brothers and sisters, it's a blessing that we can all be here again together this afternoon to worship our triune God together. Welcome to all of you who are present here in the building and welcome also to those of you who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message strengthen our faith and cause us to trust our Saviour Jesus Christ so that more and more we would live our lives in obedience to God's will. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory with deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the consistory room. And this afternoon the worship service will be led by Brother Dathan Plater. Before we start, let's sing together hymn 75 verse 3. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise and worship our God together. We confess at the very outset of worship that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this afternoon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and sing from Psalm 100, verses 1, 3, and 4. Psalm 100, verse 1, 3, and 4.
In Psalm 145, verse 4, the psalmist says, One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. Well, congregation, let us join with the generations of the church of all times and places, and let's confess the mighty acts of our God and his glorious salvation with the words of Him One. Having made the good confession, let us now come before God in prayer and ask for his blessing. A glorious God and loving Father, we gather once again on this Thanksgiving Sunday to adore you for your, our faithful God. Lord, you are truly amazing. We don't really have a category for you. We have no metric to measure your greatness. You are simply God and there is no other besides you. There is only one of you. And yet you care for all of us here in this church. You care for all of your people in this world. You are with us and you are guiding us and you are sustaining us. Father, our days are numbered, but you are from everlasting and to everlasting. And Lord, if we think of ourselves again, we learn, we grow, and we change. But Lord, you are wise, you are all-knowing, and you never change, and you never will. We can always count on you, for you are a faithful God and our King. And as it stands right now, you are busy. You are busy governing this world to the furthest ends of the earth. And yet, you hear our prayers. You hear the prayers that we offer as we sit in our beds at home, or when we drive in our cars. You hear all of those prayers. Father, you are worthy to receive all our praise and all our adoration. Lord, you hate sin. You hate all wickedness. And yet you are so patient with all of our sins and all of our weaknesses. You lovingly correct us. In your goodness, you forgive us because of Jesus, our Savior. Father, thank you for your kindness and the way that you deal bountifully with us. Father, we also thank you for the gift of your word a word preserved through the ages and a word that continues to go forth with power and with the Spirit. Lord, teach us your ways. Open our eyes so that we may contemplate the wondrous things from your instruction. Help us to understand it and we will obey it 
and follow it with all our hearts. O Lord, may your glory rest upon us, that we may forget the channel, we may forget the weak and infallible preacher bringing your word, and rather that we would look and see only you, our great God and our Savior. Hear us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this afternoon, we're going to be dealing with the third petition, Your Will Be Done. And in connection with that, we'll read together from Matthew 16 and also Philippians 3. So Matthew 16, you'll find this on page 977 of the the church Bible. And we'll read together the verses 13 through 28. And that will be the lens through which we see the Lord's Day. Hear now God's word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever who would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so now we'll also turn to one of Paul's letters, his letter to the Philippians. Philippians 3. So this is one of Paul's prison letters, and here he's speaking about the the worth of Christ. So we'll read the verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So far from the reading of God's word, we'll now sing Psalm 62, verses 1, 6, and 7. And in that psalm, you'll notice the similar wording where, where Christ speaks about coming back and rewarding each according to one's deeds. That language comes back in Psalm 62.
So we continue our, <clears throat> our journey through the Lord's days, and we come now to the, the third petition. So Lord's Day 49, question and answer 124, it's on page 562 of the, the Book of Praise. So there it is asked and answered, what is the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will, and without any murmuring, obey your will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. We'll now proceed to the proclamation of the gospel, and then afterwards we'll sing from Psalm 119, verses 14, 21, and 22. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you go to a bookstore, maybe somewhat regularly, regu- regularly you will notice that one of the fastest-growing fastest sections is the section of self-help. It's a very popular section. They say that between 1972 and, and 2000, the number of self-help books on the market increased from 1% to 2.4% of the total number of books in print. So that's a lot of books. And if you read these books, or if you just look at the titles, it's a bunch of books that range from different authors, all of them telling you how you can love yourself better, how you can make your wishes, your wants, your desires, all of those things come a reality. How you can achieve the life of happiness and satisfaction that you've always wanted. Now imagine you're, you're looking at these books, and you find one book. It's got a bit of dust on it, but the title catches your attention. It's written by some largely unknown author. It's not one of those top ten sellers, New York sellers. And you read the title, and it says, Gain the life you desire, the act of dying. And you open the book, and this book tells you that the way of blessing is forgetting your, wi- your wishes, your wants, your desires, and instead pursuing the good life that someone else has planned for you, that someone else wants you to live. It tells you that the life that you want is a life of dying to yourself and instead living for another. And then that book tells you that every day when you wake up in the morning that you need to say, not my will, but your will be done. That sounds almost crazy, doesn't it? Certainly very countercultural. But that is exactly the message that our Savior says to us. Earlier in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come. And when he tells us to pray, Your kingdom come, he's, he's telling us to pray that God would advance his kingdom in the world and that all things would be subject to Christ the King. And now he teaches us He teaches that those who follow Jesus Christ, he teaches them to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer to die to ourselves and follow our Savior. And so what we want to see this afternoon is that to gain true life, we actually have to let go of life. 
That there is immense blessing that comes in denying our own will and denying what we want and taking up our cross and following our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's pay attention to what this Lord's Day has summarized for us, the teaching of Jesus Christ under this theme. Lord, help us to die to ourselves and follow our Savior. So we'll look at the call to die, the blessing of dying, and the way to die. So you could say the what, the why, and the how. So Jesus tells his disciples in verse 24 of of Matthew 16, he tells them that they are to take up their cross and follow him, to deny themselves and take up his cross and follow him. And this command that is further explained in the next few verses, it comes after a surprising turn of events. At this point, Jesus is in the region of Caesarea Philippi, and as they're in that region, at some point, Jesus asks the disciples, you know, who do you think that I am? Well, who do people think that I am? Well, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say other, other prophets. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and, say, and says, but who do you think that I am? And then we got that famous, well-known confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. The one who has come to redeem Israel. It's an amazing point in the gospel. And then after Peter describes who Jesus is, then Jesus describes who the Messiah is in the next few verses. So... They identify who the Messiah is. Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus tells them, okay, this is the way of the Messiah. He explains that the Messiah that God will use to establish the kingdom, that that way that God is going to do that is through death. Jesus has already alluded to this in Matthew 10 verse 38. He says, and whoever uh, does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he said a similar thing in, in 9 verse 15. But here he tells them plainly. Jesus says the Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be killed and on the third day raised again. And that's where everything takes a surprising turn. Peter and the rest of the disciples, they're just dumbfounded by what Jesus says. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. The word is very strong. It speaks of disproval or reproving. It's actually the same word that Jesus used to rebuke a demon in the next chapter. And then the words that Peter uses is very strong as well. You can't get an any stronger negative statement. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus, you can stop talking about dying because you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. And our words and the the Lord's words to, to Peter are just as strong. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus says to them, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Essentially, that command is a command to die. The command is not to bear up under some hard circumstances that you find yourself in or bear up under life's cruel fate, you know, where people say, yeah, but everybody's got a cross to bear. That is not what Jesus is saying here. And the disciples knew exactly what he meant. As many of you probably may, may know, 
when someone is taking up their cross, that is a death march. A Roman uh, criminal who'd been convicted, I mean, so a criminal who'd been convicted by the Romans, one of the things that they had to do is he had to pick up his cross and he had to drag it to the place of execution. We see that with the death of our Savior. And so it was a call to die, a call to forfeit your life. It meant being willing to lay down your life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you see that in verse 25. I mean, verse 26. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? He's talking about forfeiting one's life. And then again, you, you get it in 28, where he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, of the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so there's a physical element there. He's saying to the disciples, many of you will be martyred, but some of you won't taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, so what Jesus is saying is that if you follow me, if you want to follow the Savior, you have to be willing to share his fate. You have to be willing to be killed for his sake. And that's probably what Peter understood, which, which terrified him. He realized that if this was the fate of the Messiah then as a follower of the Messiah, he would probably share a similar fate. And so the call here was for them to be willing to forfeit their lives, their physical lives, in following their saviors, to pick up their cross and go to, to, pick up their cross and go to the place of execution. Be willing to give your life for your Lord. But the command is, is more comprehensive than that. And this is where it ties to the, the Lord's Day. You see, Jesus has already made this point earlier in Matthew 10, verse 38. He made the point that if you're going to follow him, it means forfeiting your life. He says there, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And here, Jesus builds on the command. He says, he says there in, in verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He adds the phrase, deny himself. And that word deny, it means to act in a wholly selfless manner. Not wholly as in pure, but wholly as in completely. Act in a completely selfless manner. It means to reject our will, our desires, our wants, and live for God's will. This is death to self as more and more we live according to the will of God. And so when we're praying, your will be done, we're praying for death. Death to ourselves, our sinful desires. As Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 15, we find a similar, I mean 3 verse 5, we find a similar command there. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so you can think of it like this congregation. If you were with us last week, we were looking at the second petition, your kingdom come. And that's a prayer that more and more we submit to God's will, God's rule. And how do we do that? Well, it's by knowing his will and by obeying his will. Well, here, the third petition, your will be done, it fills the gap between knowing and doing. Essentially, it is the choice in between. It's, it's that gap. Dying to ourselves, bearing up our cross, and following our Savior is the choice That you have between knowing what what God wants for you and doing it. So let's make this concrete. For example, 
Kids, if you're in a situation at home and your sister or your brother wants to borrow something, well, you know from God's word that God wants you to be generous, to be hospitable. And so you can deny yourself and be generous to them or you can do what you want and be selfish. Or for another example, God's word tells us to be angry and do not sin. And so maybe a situation comes up and you have a choice. You can put yourself to death. You can respond graciously as God intends. Or you can respond out of frustration according to your desire and your will. Or maybe for another example, if maybe your child's not doing too well and you're a bit worried. Well, denying yourself is saying no to the fear and the anxiety that that may grip you. And saying, no, I desire to trust God. I will trust my heavenly Father who cares for you, for me. You see, congregation, denying yourself is not one moment when you are willing to die for your Savior. But it is a day in, day out affair. All through life. And Luke makes this clear. He adds the word daily to the command. Luke 9 verse 23, it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So that means every day, all of us here face dying to self moments. Moments where we have to choose. Am I going to do my will, or am I going to do the will of my heavenly Father? So it's a characteristic of the Christian life. It's something that we do every day. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross. And so in that sense, in a way, bearing our cross looks the same for all of us. It involves death to our sinful selves and walking in the will of our Heavenly Father. And so that's what we're praying when we pray, Your will be done. We're praying, Lord, may we deny ourselves. May we put ourselves to death daily and do Your will. But now, congregation, how will we put ourselves to death? Or I should say, why will we put ourselves to death? We're not going to put ourselves to death daily unless we believe that God's will for our lives is good, is lovely, is beautiful. You see, this petition is a confession. We are confessing with confidence that God's will for our lives, which he has revealed in his word, is best. It's a confession that submitting to God's will is the best way to live our life and it leads to blessing for us. It leads to far more blessing than anything we can gain in this whole world. To use the words of the catechism, if we're going to deny our own will without any murmuring and obey God's will, we need to believe that God's will alone is good. That his will is better. And see, this is precisely what Satan tries to undermine. He doesn't want us to believe that God's will for our lives is good, is beautiful, is lovely. Because he knows there's nothing more motivating in the Christian life than that. He knows that that's going to lead to unwavering submission when you love the will of God and you see it as good and beautiful. You see, it already started in the garden when he tries to undermine that God's will is good. What did he say to Adam and Eve? God says to Adam and Eve, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
And then Satan comes along and he says, well, that's not good for you. God's actually withholding something from you. He's actually withholding you from your real potential. You will not surely die. You're actually going to become like God. Your eyes will be opened, knowing good and evil. Your will is better. Your will is better, not God's will. And you see, that's where the battle of the will, if you will, started. That's where the conflict began. It began in the garden, and we see it again in our passage. So Jesus speaks about the will of God in the verses 21 to 23, when he announces his, his coming death. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And the must is not a resignation to fate. It's not as though, well, I just got to go, not my will, but your will be done. Nor is it some sort of heroic determination, but rather the must is speaking of Jesus' willing submission to his Father's will. God had, reve- God had revealed in his word that the Messiah was to come to suffer and to die for his people, and that after that he would be exalted. That was God's will for Jesus. That's what, what his good will was for Jesus. And so knowing God's will, Jesus was resolved to submit to his heavenly Father's will. But then Peter hears that, and it doesn't seem to gel with the Messiah he knows. He doesn't quite understand this. And he thinks to himself, well, that's not very good. That's not, that's not the glorious life that I envisioned. That's not what I signed up for. And if you look at other passages in Matthew, you see that the, the disciples and Peter were looking for an earthly kingdom. They were looking for a king to come to conquer the Romans. They were hoping for positions of prominence, of glory in that kingdom. Isn't that the reason why even two chapters later, they're discussing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And so God's will for the Messiah didn't align with Peter's will. And so what happened, even though his intentions may have been loving, and may have been noble, out of a love for his Savior, Peter actually was aligning himself not only with the desires of men, But as Jesus says, with Satan himself, get behind me, Satan. The rock that Christ was going to build his church on had suddenly become a stumbling block, a stumbling rock. And why? Because through Peter came the same lie that Satan tried to convince Jesus of in the wilderness. Satan tried to tempt Jesus with all the kingdoms of the earth. Here, you can have all these kingdom if you would only forfeit God's will and follow me. But Jesus knew that that was going to profit him nothing. That if he gained all the kingdoms, that he would lose his soul in the process. You see, Jesus, it's at this point that he reaffirms the blessing of obeying God's will, of following his will, of denying ours and submitting to his You see, blessings and glory come through renouncing our life and following God's will. When Jesus says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? He's saying that following any other way of life is a bad deal. The term is financial, forfeiting one's life. What will you gain? You'll gain nothing. And think of what he says. He's speaking about, 
You could be the ruler of the whole world. You could have everything in your possession. But if that came through going according to your own will and living according to your own will, it's a bad deal. It's not worth it. It doesn't lead to true glory. It doesn't lead to true blessing. It doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to satisfaction. It only leads to misery. Actually forfeiting your life. You see, what Jesus is saying is that there's nothing in all the world that compares to following Christ. There is nothing in the world that outweighs, that outbenefits, that outdoes doing God's good will for our lives. God's way, which is denying ourselves, taking up, ourself, taking up our cross, and putting ourselves to death daily. He says, that is the pathway of life. If you are going to follow me, that is the life that you ought to live. It's a way of blessing. And we read from Philippians. And this is something that Paul abundantly agrees with, totally agrees with. See there, this is what Paul proclaims in Philippians 3. You see, Paul, he had many things that a lot of Jews would have desired. He had the right lineage, the right history, the right background. He was Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had the best education that a Pharisee would want. He had a reputation of being perfect according to the law. That is what many Jews would have loved to have had. But Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And he repeats it three times. I count it all as loss. He counts it all as worthless. Everything else is sacrificable. Everything else is losable, negotiable. Nothing compares to the blessing of following in the footsteps of his Savior. And notice that's the same, same direction. It's a way of suffering. He says there, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. I will follow God's will because it is good. Why did, God, why did Paul willingly and faithfully carry out God's will for his life, even when it meant that he was beaten and bruised and even stoned? It's because he believed that God's will for his life was good, that it was beautiful, that it was lovely. It's because he believed that there is nothing in all this world that compared to the worth of following Christ and being found in him. You see, congregation, Satan doesn't want us to believe that bearing our cross is worth it, that bearing our cross is beautiful. But brothers and sisters, that is the only way of blessing. That's what this passage is telling us. It's saying that the way of glory, the way of life everlasting is, that, is through that daily battle of denying our own wills and submitting to the will of God because it is beautiful. There is nothing in all the world that could be more wonderful than that. You see, Jesus doesn't tell us to deny our will and, sub and submit to God because God is some tyrant. But rather, he tells us to submit to the will of God because that is the way that leads to life. That is the way that leads to blessing. That is the way that leads to the life that God has intended for us. 
And so, congregation, why do you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's because God's will for your life is good. It is the way of blessing. Anything else, you can gain the whole world. But if you gain all of that and you don't have Christ and you're not following in the will of God, you've lost everything. Everything else is a bad deal. So that brings us to our third point, the way to die. So congregation, the catechism also acknowledges a very, um, very difficult reality. It says there, Grant that we and all men may deny our own will, and without any murmuring, obey your will, for it alone is good. Without any murmuring. It acknowledges that putting ourselves to death daily is a battle. There is a lot of back chat, you could say. Every day when we're fighting to do the will of God, instead of our own, there's a lot of murmuring. And so how do we deny ourselves and take up our cross? How do we put ourselves to death? Well, brothers and sisters, it's by looking to our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus knows the experience of that battle. He experienced it himself. He experienced it, the, the onslaught of Satan in the wilderness. Satan came to him, and each temptation, it was deny doing God's will and do your own will. And he relentlessly tried to get Christ to forfeit living a life of obedience to him. And even later, then he uses Peter. He uses Peter, Christ's own disciple, as we see in the passage that we read together, to try to get Christ to give up on doing the will of God in heaven. And there's probably no place where we see the battle more than in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see the intensity of the battle. Even the thought of drinking the dregs of God's wrath against sin made Jesus weary unto death. It nearly killed him. So it says that in Mark 14 verse 34, that he was weary unto death. And so your Savior knows the intensity of the battle that's within when we try to deny ourselves and bear our cross. He knows how hard it is to say no to our will and do the will of God. And yet the one who tells us to pray, your will be done, is the one who did God's will perfectly. You see, unlike us, throughout all those experiences, Jesus triumphed in obeying God's will and in submitting to his will. Not once did he seek his own will in rejection of God's. He said no to his will in the wilderness. He said no to his will when Peter came and tempted him and rebuked him. And what's more important, he said no in the Garden of Gethsemane. For there when he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's when our salvation was secure. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. But nevertheless... Your will be done, not my will. You see, even as he was drinking down, about to drink down the cup of God's wrath, he denied himself and he continued doing God's will. And he persisted in that congregation. It's amazing. If you read through the Gospels and you read especially the end of Christ's life, it's not as if the soldiers come and arrest him. It's Christ just arresting himself, doing God's will. He even says it a bunch of times, you know what, I could send down a legion of angels and they could rescue me from this cross. But he doesn't because he submitted to the goodwill of God. 
And why did he persist in obeying? Why did he continue despite everything that it meant? It's because he believed that it was good. He believed that it was beautiful, that it was worth it. Just think of what it says in Hebrews, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. He counted it all as worthless. He saw God's will and it was beautiful. He saw his will for his life, how it meant uh, bringing us all into fellowship with him. You see, he wanted what God wanted. He loved what God loved. Nothing in the world could compare to that glorious future that he saw. If he were to gain all the kingdoms of this world, it was all worthless. You see, he saw God's plan of salvation. He saw how God's plan included the redemption of all of us. And it was worth it. It was good. And so he subjected himself to the will of God. And so... How do we die to ourselves? It's by following in the footstep of our Savior. But yet, we are not going to be able to do this on our own strength. And you see, that's the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to do this in our own strength. God has poured out His Spirit upon us so that we, we don't, you see, we don't make a choice to do God's will in our own strength. When the decision comes where we say, this is what I want to do, and this is what God wants me to do. And when we do that, what God wants, that is not a choice that we make. That is the Spirit powerfully at work in us. You see, you know what, do you know what God is doing with our wills through the power of the Spirit? See, He's working in His marvelous way. What He does is that He changes our desires so that they become His desires. He takes what He loves and they become, and it becomes what we love. What he hates becomes what we hate. What we hate. You see, God doesn't just make us robots or puppets attached to some divine string, but rather, as it says in the Canons of Dort, the reason why we persist in our daily battle and sometimes overcome and do the will of God is because God is powerfully at work, shaping and recreating our will, so that we want what He wants. As it says in 3, 4, Article 16 of the Canons of Dort, God doesn't just destroy our will, but he heals it, he corrects it, and he pleasantly and powerfully bends it. So that instead of murmuring and resisting, that we instead willingly and cheerfully do the will of God. And we say, not my will, but yours be done. So brothers and sisters, that's how we're able to deny ourselves and take up our cross, putting ourselves to death daily. It's by following in the footsteps of our Savior, looking to Him for strength and for power. Looking to the one who sympathizes with our struggles, who experienced our struggles, but also the one who championed, who overcame, and who did the will of God, denying Himself even to death on the cross because of the joy and the beauty of God's goodwill. And it's with His Spirit that God now equips us, gloriously shaping and powerfully bending our will so that we pray, Lord, help us die to ourselves and follow our Savior, fully convinced that it is worth it. Amen.
before God in prayer and this afternoon's prayer will be from the the hymn your will be done let us let us pray almighty God your will be done our heavenly father as in heaven so on earth our hearts are drawn to self-exalting may we see your kingdom first as Jesus walked so we shall walk held by your same unchanging love, 
And may our souls be still, that we may lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, how in the garden our Savior persisted, we may never fully know. The fearful weight of true obedience, it was held by him alone. Father, what wondrous faith to bear the cross, to bear our sin, what wondrous love. Our hope was sure when there our Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So as we go forth, our God and Father, lead us daily in the fight that all the world might see your glory and your name be lifted high. For Lord, in your name we overcome, for you shall see us safely home. And now as your church, we lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your thank offerings. And the collection for this afternoon is for the Evangelical Reform Seminary of Ukraine. And as you give of your offerings, remember the words of 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then after we'll sing from hymn 9, the doxology.
As you go, receive the blessing of God and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.